Clive DeCarl here with Spencer Feldman, and we're going to talk about the liver and the gallbladder today. Spencer, enlighten us. Ah, so, you know, there are some wonderful old school remedies for the liver and gallbladder. Uh, well, first off, let's, you know, why would we want to do anything for them? Um, the liver does a number of things. It works with proteins. Um, it helps. In terms of the kind of application we have in functional medicine, the liver is seen as the primary detox organ. And up until, you know, 80 years ago, most people didn't have to do anything for their liver. It worked behind the scenes. But nowadays, uh, with the convenience of modern chemistry, um, the liver is exposed to chemicals of types and in quantities it never had to in our evolutionary history. And so it behooves us uh, to learn how to take care of this organ. Um, in terms of the gallbladder, uh, the gallbladder itself is uh, a, a, it's a little sac that the liver secretes the bile into. And then the, the, the gallbladder will squeeze it when necessary to help digest fats uh, in the food. So. The gallbladder can also have issues, but the issues of the gallbladder are really more issues that the liver caused, meaning uh, the bile that was coming into the gallbladder uh, was too coagulated. Uh, so nowadays, uh, we also now have to start working on the gallbladder, whereas in the past, that was something that was not needed quite so often. Now, the two old school remedies uh, for the liver and the gallbladder were coffee enemas and liver gallbladder flushes. And a coffee enema was done, as one might suspect from the name. Uh, you would take a couple of cups of uh, warm coffee and take it as a retention enema laying on your side uh, in a bathtub for half an hour. Uh, and while that wasn't a, a comfortable experience necessarily uh, or convenient, uh, what would happen would be the... Uh, aspects of the, the compounds in the coffee when they went to the liver uh the liver if they go in that direction it will take an orally it has a different effect but when you take it rectally and it goes through the blood vessels in the distal colon and through the hemorrhoidal complex uh, the hemorrhoids are actually the blood vessels uh that you find um at the bottom of the colon and in most people you know you don't even know they're there but uh, if someone's liver gets starts getting backed up in a particular way mechanically, um, it the pressure can actually cause a distension of those blood vessels, and those are called hemorrhoids. But in a healthy person, you don't really see them. However, they are an access point for getting things directly into the liver. So when coffee is taken rectally, not orally, but when it's taken rectally, uh, the body sees the coffee as a toxin. It's not really toxic, not very much, but it, it thinks it is. So it tricks the body, it triggers the body into uh, jump-starting its uh, detoxification pathway. Now, the way detox works is if the toxin is water-soluble, you simply pee it out. But if it's fat-soluble, uh, you can't pee it out. It's stuck in the fatty membranes of the body, uh, the, the bilipid membranes of the cells, the, around the nerves, uh, fat between organs, and a lot of it goes on the brain because the brain's basically a couple of pounds of fat. So, and nerves. So, uh, it'll, what the coffee will trigger is something called the 
phase one, that's the cytochrome P450 enzyme system. And what that does is it either uh, attaches or unmasks a polar group on a toxin in the body. The polar group, you could think of it as like a little grappling hook, right? So it's either adding a little grappling hook or unmasking a grappling hook that's there. Now, that's not enough to get rid of the toxin. It actually makes a toxic, the toxin more toxic, but it only does that temporarily because right away, uh, depending on the type of chemical that the grappling hook was uh, attached to or unmasked on, a particular conjugate will then grab onto the grappling hook. So it could be glutathione or sulfate uh, or uh, some B vitamins, or it could be um, a methyl group uh, or glucuronolactone. And then the chemical is completely soluble and not as reactive as it was a second ago. That second part is called phase two. And then you can either urinate it out or it'll go out the bile and go out into the, uh, into the toilet that way. The challenge is uh, that a lot of people now don't have enough conjugating agents in them. So you can give them the coffee enema or the coffee rectally. Uh, it'll simulate phase one, but it doesn't go to phase two. That Those compounds aren't there because they've already been used up uh, detoxifying other things. And so then the person is left with a half-baked or a half-detoxed chemical, which is worse than if they left it alone. And this is the problem a lot of people with chemical sensitivities find themselves in. They try to detox. They don't do a complete detox, and it makes them worse. Uh, the Xenoplex product that you carry of ours contains the organic coffee as a suppository, so you don't have to do a 30-minute retention enema. But we also added in all the conjugated agents. Uh, so we're giving them both at the same time, so you don't end up with just phase one and not phase two. And, and so there's that. So that that's a, a, not only is it an alternative to the coffee enema, uh, it's superior in the sense that you're actually doing both phases that have to get done. Now, uh, let me tell you, you can find the, uh, on your foot a point that will be sensitive um, if the liver is having some trouble. So an interesting question is, do you need a liver flush? Uh, what I would pose is that's sort of like asking if you need to change the oil in your car. Uh, yes, on a regular basis, right? Uh, or depending on how often you're drive riding. So in the 21st century, it's a good idea to do a liver flush once or twice a year, just as a general maintenance. Now, I had a, a friend come over. I saw him uh, last week, was visiting. and he was concerned about his liver, and uh, but he said, but his liver enzymes were all okay. So I pressed on a point on the top of his foot called liver three. It's an acupuncture point, liver three. And if you go online and look on an image search, you'll where it shows you the bones and the tendons and where it is, you can find that point. It's between the big toe and the pointer toe on your right foot, up on the top, just before the bones fuse. Um, and I pressed in there, and boy, was it sore for him. And he said, oh, well, that's uh, anywhere over there would be sore. I said, okay, I'm going to move a half an inch off. Is it sore there? He goes, no. But he said, but it would be sore for anybody. I'm like, all right. I take off my foot, my shoe. I'm like, here's the point. Press on it as hard as you can. And you know, he doesn't want to hurt me, so he, he, he presses. I'm like, harder. He presses. I'm like, with all the strength you've got. And he's squeezing, and, and, and he's looking at me, and I'm like, doesn't hurt. It's not even sore. And now... 
imagine pressing that hard on your foot. He goes, no, I, I couldn't. I couldn't take that. I'm like, okay. So the nice thing about the liver three point is it is a global indicator. Sorry. It's a, it's a general, it's a, it's an indicator of something in the liver, right? Whereas if you do a liver enzyme test, which is a great to do, you can have a false uh, negative on a liver problem because it might be that those particular enzymes are not the ones that are emblematic uh, of what's going on in your liver. So certainly if you have high elevated liver enzymes, you've got a liver issue going on. But if you don't, um, that doesn't mean you're in the clear, just press that point. Uh, and so uh, the, the Xenoplexes are a way of, um, you know, supporting someone who's got some liver stuff, may have some liver things. And that liver point, liver three, is a great way for someone at home to determine if the liver is upset with them. So if somebody decides to use the Xenoplex, for how many days should they, what, what's the procedure? Well, you can't so much overdo that one. And I've had people say, oh, I can't do coffee. It gets me too stimulated. I think maybe in 25 years, I've had three people tell me they couldn't do Xenoplex because they were sensitive to the coffee. Because taken rectally, it has a different chemical pathway. Um, you could do it uh, every day for 10 days. That's a box. And that's normally more than enough. But again, you know, press on that point. If after day 10, the point is less sore, but still hurts, I'll take a week off and do another, do another 10 days of it. That point's a great way to see what's going on. And if that point continues being sore, well, then, you know, we might look at something like albidextrin to kind of dredge out the lysosomes and, and go to some other things. Using the albidextrin to take out the fats and the nasty proteins. Right. So, um, you know, there's a thing called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease that, you know, an enormous number of people have now. Um, it's when the... When the body, okay, so what the body does is when there's something in it it wants to get rid of, um, it will try to recycle it. And if it's a toxin, it'll try to incinerate it. And if it, it's a toxin that it can't incinerate, it, it'll store it away. And it does the all three of these things in, the, in what are called the lysosomes. So the lysosomes are the recycling centers, the incinerators, and the landfills of the body. When you, it is my... It is my suspicion that when someone's lysosomes are so full, uh, first off, you don't want the lysosomes to be acting as landfills because then they can't work as incinerators and recycling centers. They're stuffed. So that's a last-ditch attempt. And I think that when you see someone with lysosomes that are stuffed in their, in their liver specifically, which is not all that uncommon, then the liver says, well, I need to stick these, these toxins somewhere. Let me just secrete a bunch of fat and we'll stick it in that. It's sort of like a backup to the lysosomes. So when I see uh, fatty liver, I'm thinking, okay, this is a really toxic liver. We need to, I want to clear that. I want to support the body in clearing that liver fat out with the understanding that there's toxins inside of it. But then I also want to go and, and strip, uh, clean out the lysosomes. And I think cyclodextrins are a fantastic way to do that. They're actually one of the only ways I know to do that. Uh, the only way I'm aware of. Uh, and we have cyclodextrins in the albidextrin product. So we've talked about the alternative to the coffee enema. That's the Xenoplex. So the other old school uh, remedy um, protocol would be uh, a liver gallbladder flush, which if you thought a coffee enema was uncomfortable, wait till you hear about this one. Um, optimally, you know, it would be like a, a week or two of apple cider vinegar with the malic acid softening up the stones. 
followed by you know an enormous amount, half a cup or more of olive oil and then uh, some Epsom salts. And the olive oil triggers the gallbladder to squeeze because it thinks because there's a bunch of oil there that needs to be digested by bile. And the Epsom salts, I mean, it's a genius idea. The Epsom salt dilates the sphincter of odi, which is the muscular sphincter, the ring that is at the bottom of the gallbladder that opens and closes depending on how much bile it wants to release. And the idea is if you dilate it enough, you can pass a bunch of stones. Okay. Um, there's a couple of issues with the liver gallbladder flush. Uh, one is the body recycles 95% of its bile. So it's a, you don't necessarily want to um, flush all the bile out because if you dump huge amounts of bile out, uh, you may not be able to reabsorb all of it and then you've got to make more of it. That's a minor issue. Um, in some cases, you do want to do one flush if that bile is toxic, um, but then you have to rebuild the bile after. The other issue is that the if you if you keep doing uh, liver gallbladder flushes, you end up drying out the uh, the liver, it runs out of bile, and that creates more gallstones uh, because gallstones were because there wasn't enough bile and it got too thick. It went from sludge to stones. Um, the other another issue uh, with this is people will be told do the liver gallbladder flush uh, until such time as you stop getting stones. But what they won't tell you is that you can get false stones that are created by the liver gallbladder flush. If you take that much olive oil, you can actually make these floating green olive oil stones that aren't all stones, they're artifact. And then so a person will just say, oh, I, I've done 20 gallbladder flushes and I keep getting stones out. And, and I'm like, no, you're not. Um, you're, you're making what you're, what you're seeing is artifact and you're just dredging your liver and drying it out of any bile it ever had left. So you can actually, um, if you are going to do a liver gallbladder flush, there is an intelligent way to do it. Multiple times is not the way. Um, so why might we want to do a liver gallbladder flush? Okay, so let's talk about what bile is and does. Bile is an alkali soap. Uh, the alkali part is important because the stomach acid, you know, you know the stomach creates acid to break down proteins and to disinfect the food you just ate. But um, if it's not neutralized, it'll keep digesting and burning all the way through the intestines. The stomach has a very thick mucus layer to protect it from stomach acid. The intestines don't. Uh, so you want that uh, stomach acid to be neutralized. So bile, which is alkaline, neutralizes the stomach acid. Uh, and then it has a detergent effect and it allows you to digest fats. Um, but that detergent effect actually does a couple of other things. Um, it also, the detergent effect can also break down bacteria in the small intestine. You want bacteria in the large intestine. Uh, that's called your microbiome, hopefully. <laughs> uh, uh, you don't really want it in your small intestine. And when you get small intestine overgrowth, that can be a sign that bile is not doing its job. Um, another thing that bile does is it, uh, it triggers the FXR receptors in the ileum, uh, which is, uh, which will make natural antibiotics. So what happens is, you know, food is supposed to go from your small intestine um, through your ileocecal valve into your large intestine, but sometimes food backs up, especially if there's gas pressure in your colon. It can, it can, when that ileocecal valve opens up, it can actually geyser up fecal matter up into your small intestine. Uh, and you, again, you don't want bacteria in your small intestine. 
So the FXR receptors uh, at the end of your small intestine near your ileocecal valve um, are triggered by bile saying, okay, we are about to open <laughs> the large intestine, uh, the, the ileocecal valve. Um, we may get a little bit of backwash. Let's kill any bacteria that comes up. So bile is important for that. Um, bile stimulates peristalsis. You get a lot of people that um, don't have food going through them at a, at a proper speed. And, you know, I've had people say, oh, I go to the bathroom every day, but okay, if what's coming out of you is something you put in a week ago, even if you go to the bathroom every day, if it's seven days old, that's a problem. Um, you can measure your transit time by taking a tablespoon of chloro uh, liquid chlorophyll with a meal, and then wait to see how long many days it takes for your stool to turn green. And, you know, the water will actually kind of discolor green. Um, when After you've gone to the bathroom, you'll see the toilet water kind of go green. That's your sign. Um, 24 to 36 hours is optimal. 48 hours is acceptable. Beyond that, you know, you need to start working on transit time and there's things to do that, you know, go for long walks, don't spend a lot of time sitting, get a stand-up desk and then get the bile moving. Um, another issue is uh, if you have gallstones, which, you know, it's more likely if uh, women have them more than men, um, especially uh, if they're a little overweight, but I've seen men get it. Um, if someone gets a stone in there and it jams in the right, or I guess the wrong spot, um, it can jam open the pancreatic duct. And now what you can end up having is every time the bile squirts down, it can also squirt into the pancreas and create alkali uh, and uh, digestive pancreatic burns. And people can damage their pancreas, not realizing it's a problem from the gallbladder. Uh, so how would you know if you have a gallbladder issue? Well, it turns out there's a gallbladder point. It's gallbladder 41. Um, so like for the liver, gallbladder is on your right side. You're going to use your right foot and you press on gallbladder 41. And if that's really painful or uncomfortable, consider looking at working on your gallbladder. Um, the gallbladder is a very forgiving organ, um, but, you know, and, and a lot of people who are told they have to go in for gallbladder surgery, if what I would say is if the wall of the gallbladder isn't grossly enlarged or gangrenous, then that gallbladder may be recoverable. You just have to flush it out uh, carefully. Um, if that gallbladder wall has gotten gangrenous, um, then, you know, it, it might be time to have that thing pulled. And the idea is not to have your gallbladder removed, which means you want to see problems before they get to that point. Um, so pressing on gallbladder 41, or shoulder problems sometimes, or issues with rage, problems with fatty foods, these are all signs of um, gallbladder issues. And so what we did is we made a suppository that would take the place of the liver gallbladder flush. Now, if you want to do a liver gallbladder flush, fine, do it after 10 days of glitamins, which is the product with the liver gallbladder, uh, the gallbladder support, um, do that do the, the glitamins for 10 days, then do uh, a liver gallbladder flush just one time if you really want to just dump everything out. Um, but rather than doing something very dramatic, uh, like trying to give birth to a bunch of gallstones, I prefer just melting them out. It takes, you know, maybe two weeks rather than 20, you know, two days, but it's much more gentle on the system. Um, so the three most painful things a human can experience from what I've heard 
from people who've had all three, um, is uh, numbers two and three would be uh, kidney stones slash uh, childbirth. Uh, I've heard some people say kidney stones are worse than childbirth. Um, and the worst one I've heard, the worst pain a human can experience is a gallbladder attack, meaning a gallstone has got stuck somewhere. Uh, so uh, I've been through kidney stones. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I can't imagine something more painful, um, but there it is. And so uh, a nice thing to do for yourself is uh, a, a gallbladder flush. And if you were to alternate the glidamins and the xenoplex, you know, for 20 days, one of each back and forth, liver, gallbladder, liver, gallbladder, that's a really nice thing to do to your body, do for your body once a year. If I remember rightly, it was oxalates, an overdose of oxalates that caused your kidney stones. Is that right? Uh, yes. So I was, um, you know, there's a lot of foods out there that we're told are good for us. Um, spinach, uh, chia seeds, uh, things like this, uh, things that are loaded with oxalates. And uh, I was um, having some breakfasts with uh, chia seeds and almonds and cardamom, all of which are incredibly, and uh, cinnamon, I think one other. Uh, basically, I was, oh, uh, sesame seeds. I was unwittingly creating uh, oxalate bombs for myself every morning. And over the course of two weeks, I gave myself kidney stones. So, yeah, won't do that again. Good. Good, I'm pleased about that. So <clears throat> I once did the um, traditional kidney flush with the olive oil and stuff. Oh my God, it was unpleasant. You mean liver gallbladder flush? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was just horrid. And I'd read that you meant to do it 12 times. I thought, never again. I'm just not doing it. So when I discovered the glycamines, I thought, wow. And... You know, the um, the idea of being able to do a coffee enema as well without having to lie down in the bath for half an hour. I mean, just incredible products. I really congratulate you on them. Um, very, very excellent products. Well, thank you. I have uh, one one last story. I'll tell uh, sorry. I'll tell you about the glitamins. I got a phone call from a woman. She was in her mid seventies, and she was calling to thank me because her headaches were gone. I said, oh, well, what what did you do? She goes, oh, I took some vitamins. I said, oh, well, that's that's lovely, ma'am. I'm very happy. She goes, no, no, really. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm like, wow, these these were some bad headaches, huh? She goes, I'd had them since I was 15. This woman had had headaches chronically for 60 years and wow. likely due to some gallstone that was stuck there because the gallbladder meridian goes up around the head, right? It goes up the leg, through the shoulder, up into the head. So you get the, sometimes you get locked shoulder or headaches. And uh, like, wow, I'm, I'm, so she took the glitamins, her headaches were gone, uh, gone, and she got to spend, how I don't know, the last 10, I guess, years of her life uh, without headaches. So, you know, never too late to uh, try to clean, clean the body out. 